The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. The Pharisees approached Jesus and asked, Is it lawful for a husband to divorce his wife? They were testing him. He said to them in reply, What did Moses command you? They replied, Moses permitted a husband to write a bill of divorce and dismiss her. But Jesus told them, Because of the hardness of your hearts, he wrote you this commandment. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, no human being must separate. In the house, the disciples again questioned Jesus about this. He said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. And people were bringing children to him that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he became indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not prevent them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Amen, I say to you. Whoever does not accept the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it. Then, He embraced them and blessed them, placing his hands on them. The Gospel of the Lord. Good morning. What a gift today. Every day is a gift. But before we dive into these awesome readings, uh, just uh, another update as we've been doing before uh, the Mass for the last couple of weeks. I'm still shocked at the generosity of all of you. So, you know, the Fire Relief Fund, we've now surpassed $40,000. Uh, we're especially getting a lot of checks from parishes and the other dioceses. They're just sending us money to help us out. And so it's utterly amazing. And so we've been able to bump up the number of uh, the amount of the check for each of the families that are afflicted by the fire. So, again, Praise and thank you for all that you guys have done. Over $40,000. I thought we'd get like $10,000 tops. And it's, it's skyrocketed. It's like, praise the Lord. And then also on Friday. So one of the things I was, I was dreading, I was dreading our utility bills. <laughs> because uh, the hall, I thought we were open for a hall, maybe an evacuation site a week, two weeks. We were open for almost two months. And it was hot and smoky. And I would just stare at the AC running all day long. I was like, oh boy. That's a long time, and they, they love that hall cold. And so it was constantly running and running and running. And so the first utility bill came in, electricity bill. We averaged, just a hall, 240 bucks. Just a hall. It jumped up to $1,200. And that's just part of the, of the, of the hall. 
uh, of that time period. And then also to clean the carpets in the hall, over $2,000. And so these are just the first of the bills coming in. So that was on Friday. And I was like, Lord, help. We need some help here. Uh, we, need some, cause we didn't budget for this in the, in the yearly budget because who budgets a fire? Right? And so I said, Lord, we need a hand. A couple hours later, I get an email from my brother priest in Westwood in Lake Amador. He says, Father, a parishioner just gave me $10,000 to use at my disposal if it was affected by the fire. Do you need help with your utility costs? I said, yes, we do. And so I'm going to send him our bills. So praise the Lord. God is good, isn't he? He always provides. Like, remember last week I told you that story of the guy who comes up to me. Father, I got an apartment, praise the Lord. Empty, no, no, no furniture. I said, okay, we'll see what we can do. And then a couple minutes later, another person calls. Father, I got a whole house full of furniture. Do you need it? So God's amazing. He always provides for us. Never, ever, ever, ever doubt that. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So last weekend was a glorious occasion for our neighboring diocese, the Diocese of Reno. Last Friday, they just installed their new bishop, Bishop Daniel Muggenberg. And it was a great occasion because I personally know him. Uh, He was on faculty when I was still a seminarian in Rome. He was just part of the priest faculty there, so we became friends. And so when when the Pope named him the new bishop of Reno, all of our classmates got excited. Because whenever, whenever one of us is named the bishop or that we know somebody, we tend to support them. And so a lot of our classmates started flying into Reno to celebrate this great day. And so it was going to be like a little mini reunion. We, we haven't, a lot of us, we haven't seen each other over maybe 10 years now. And so it was going to be a glorious occasion. So, and so I wanted to take them to a very Reno restaurant. So I text a lot of the Reno people and said, hey, got a whole bunch of people, never been here before. How can we show them a good time in Reno, in a typical restaurant? And so we went to Louis Basque Corner. <laughs> Are you guys familiar with that place? Of course, you know, it's uh, the Basque people, the ethnic group from, uh, from Spain. They, they settled, a lot of them settled in Reno. And so we went there. Delicious food, if you've never been there. I highly recommend it. But as you know, Louis Basque Corner is in a horrible place in town. Because when you go there, it's, it's, it's kind of a L.A.'s equivalent, or Reno's equivalent of L.A. Skid Row. There's a lot of homeless that, that live around there. But not only that, you remember what was happening last weekend? There was a huge rally. Street vibrations. So there was 35,000 bikers in Reno last weekend. And so here we were. We get out of, we get out of dinner. Still daylight. And these, uh, my brother priests, wanted to take a photo in that famous Reno sign. You know that sign that says, uh, Reno, the biggest little city in the world. So let's go over there. I said, oh, sure, let's go. So we just started walking. It's a couple blocks away. And so here we were, just group, big group of priests, all in our collars, walking through crowds of homeless, drunk, drug, you know, it's all, the, all the type of people, and then bikers along, along the way. And here we were just walking. And you know how bikers look like, right? And so we just, the bikers would stare at us. We stare at the bikers. <laughs> We're terrified of them. They're terrified of us, right? And so it was, it, was, it was a funny sight. One particular guy comes up to us angry, confronts us. 
because he thought we were, we were mocking the Catholic Church. We were, he thought we were some kind of bachelor party out on the town in Reno. We'd dress up as priests to, to do whatever. He said, no, we're, we're, we're real priests. In fact, I'm the holiest priest in California. In fact. And when he found out we were real priests, he was happy. He goes to St. Thomas Aquinas in, in downtown Reno. But it was good to see my brothers. Because we were all in our 20s when we were in the seminary in Rome. We are all in our 20s, young men. And for any man who, who embraces or a call to the priesthood, as you know, celibacy is probably the hardest roadblocks, especially in our culture, which perpetuates indulgence and hedonism. So it's hard whenever a young man, when God places on his heart to become celibate, it's, you feel like an alien. You feel like an alien because nobody else around you is thinking about that. And so if you ask any young man how the cross of celibacy is, and oftentimes, because we're in our 20s, we're young, the aspect of not being able to participate in the beauty of marriage, especially the physical intimacy of marriage, as a young man, that tends to weigh heavy on us. Am I not really going to be able to, to feel the embrace of, of my wife or to embrace that path? And so that tends to be harder on a young man. But now here we were. We're, in our, we're all in our 40s now. And so, of course, the cross of celibacy and, 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 and the splinters of that vocation, it becomes different as you grow and you mature. One of my brother priests brought up, and he says, reflecting on, on celibacy now in our 40s, he says, you know what's hard about this life? He says, it's the pain of not being able to have my own children. The pain that it, that inflicts. You see, he was speaking about now, at, when you're a young man in your 20s and you've embraced celibacy, it tends to be more physical. Like, oh, I'm not be able to touch another person or whatever. But as you, as you mature and you, and you grow in wisdom, the pain becomes deeper or spiritual. And when he said that to the group, you just nod your head. Yeah, you're right. Pain has become different in our age. He was speaking about this phenomena we have in the first reading today. By the way, I highly recommend you reread Genesis. Delve deeper into the creation narrative of Genesis. It will enlighten your condition, my condition, the world, our purpose. It will, it will, it will help you understand who you are. And so this beautiful story of Genesis chapter 2 of course, the story of Adam. But to really penetrate the depths of this mystery, again, harken back to Genesis chapter 1. Remember Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. You and I are created in God's image and likeness. So what does that mean? What is God? God is a trinity. The Father who pours himself out in love to the Son. The Son, the second person of the trinity, pours himself out 
in love to the Father. And this love that they share is the Holy Spirit. So profound that it is. And so in a sense, what the image of likeness is, is that God is relational. You must first understand that. God is relationship. And so now, therefore, now we, we enter into Genesis chapter 2. God creates Adam. And then all, the, all of a sudden, Genesis chapter 1 begins to make sense. It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a suitable partner for him. Why? Because Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. God is a trinity. Therefore, if I'm created in his image and likeness, I am created for relationship then. That's the deepest mystery of the human being. We're created for relationship. And so, God, now, a story unfolds. So God formed out of the ground wild animals and birds of the air and brought them to the man to see. Did that satisfy Adam's heart? No. We may love our pets, our horses, our cows, our goats, our chickens, but they will never satisfy the depths of the human hearts. We're not created for animals. So God knows that. And now the next line. The Lord God cast a deep sleep on the man. And while he was asleep, he took out one of his ribs. That's a funny detail, isn't it? Why the rib? Many readers of sacred scripture, Jews and Christians, reflected upon this detail of the Lord. Why didn't God take a toe bone, a femur, a hip, which is lower? Why didn't he take a neck bone, maybe an arm? Why didn't he take one of those bones, which is higher? No, you notice what God does. He takes it out of Adam's rib. Where is the rib? In the middle. There's a profound truth there. Because God takes the rib and forms Eve out of this, his side, now that conveys that woman is equal to the man. Profound dignity, profound value, profound worth. Man is not better than woman, woman no better than man. They are equal value because they're taken from the middle, evil playing field. And this idea that men and women are equal value of worth now enters into human consciousness. It was never like this before. Now, the story continues to unfold. When God formed Eve from his rib, he brought her to the man. And notice the response of Adam. It's a beautiful response. At last, he says, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. Do you see now why Adam just exclaimed his joy when he saw Eve? Because notice now he's stamped with God's image and likeness in his heart. He's created for love. He's created for relationship. Nothing in the world could satisfy him. Until finally when he sees Eve, and then he explodes in joy. He says, you hear him at last, he's saying, finally, my heart. Finally, it's, 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 been, it's been satisfied. 
Because nothing in the world could satisfy me but love. Have you ever seen, by the way, have you ever seen somebody so utterly stunning it stopped you in your tracks? Not even in a lustful way. I'm talking about, have you ever seen somebody so beautiful, so stunning, you just stop and you have to admire them? Take that experience and exponentially increase it. Adam would have been absolutely stunned by the beauty of Eve. Because in her, Adam saw something familiar. Flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone. I recognize you, Eve. But at the same time, there's a difference. Isn't there? You see, if we are created in God's image and likeness, we're created for love. Because the next question that must follow is, how do human beings love? Because we don't just love spiritually, do we? No, we love physically. And that is why when you behold the beauty of a woman's figure, look at the stunning beauty of a woman. Now look at the stunning beauty of a man. Their bodies convey a reality. Their bodies do not make sense by themselves, only in complementarity. The woman's body makes no sense without the man's body. And the man's body makes no sense without the woman's body. Notice now the next line. That is why a man leaves his father and clings to his wife, and the two of them become one flesh. You see, stamped now with God's image and likeness within the human body. How husband and wife, in your greatest expression of love to one another, notice what happens in the marital act. The man gives himself completely to his spouse, spiritually and physically. The woman now, designing her body, receives the embrace of her husband through her body. And they become literally one flesh, united. Do you see the essence and the trace of the Trinity in that spousal love? So what does the father do? The father gives himself completely to the son. The son completely to the father. The husband now, in a way of analogy, gives himself completely to the spouse, to his wife, his wife to the husband. And then now what happens if God wills it? What comes as an expression of the wife and the husband's love. Nine months later. <laughs> Poof. Your child. The child is a reflection of the love of husband and wife. Runs around in diapers. Runs around. This is the great mystery of marital love. Which is why our Lord today, when they ask him the gospel, is it permissible to divorce one's wife? The hard teaching of the indissolubility of marriage. You see, the great mystery of the church's teaching flows from that reality. If you want to know why the church teaches about, about marriage, about human sexuality, it flows from Genesis. Created God's image and likeness, male and female becoming one flesh. The embrace of husband and wife, the creation of a new life. 
who participates in the very creative act of God. That's the ideal of marriage. And what Christ comes, notice what he says here. From the beginning of creation, Christ comes to restore how we were originally created and designed. But now, we know the story. What happens in the following chapters? Original sin. This is why married love and our love now here today is tainted with corruption, with sin, and with all of our, our, our faults and vices. That's why human love is, is, is messy now. But at the same time, God calls us to this ideal here. And so I want to I say this. Because I know our lives are all messy. Many of us come from broken families or, or divorce situations. If you ever need, or if you want to delve deeper into what marriage is, or if you have questions about it, that's why I'm here. You can always come to me. My office is always open. Or if you're in a particular situation, you want to wonder if, if, about your own marriage, come. I have no life outside of you guys. I keep saying that. I have, I have no wife to split my time. I have no kids I got to take care of. You are my family. And that is why I exist. That's why I'm celibate. So that my heart will not be split. You have 100% of my heart. Now do you see why my brother priests? His heart was broken because he longed to have his own children. But it was because it was a sacrifice, in a way, of pointing to the higher love of God. Which is what every marriage, every family is supposed to reflect. And celibacy is us pointing higher. Remember who you are and your image and likeness you are created in. And at the end of the day, and I'll end here. It's out of love for the Lord. It's that simple. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.